0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, um, I'm not sure why it just struck me recently, but it did, that I have passed the midway point of life. Uh... And I'm realizing in the last month or so, and I've conversed with a few friends about this, a few in this room too, um, that I think I'm having a small midi. That's what I'm calling my midlife crisis. It's not a big one. I'm not buying a Corvette. I'm not, you know, getting an alter ego and heading to Vegas. Um, But I'm just aware that time's passing and there have been some questions that have, uh, push themselves to me I am I doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing um, I think this, the words I put to it this week was I feel I feel like I'm sort of solidified myself now as a middler I'm a middling pastor a middling writer most days I feel like a middling dad um, and I don't really I don't think in that I'm you know doing the false humility thing. I mean, I know I have gifts and I hope to put those to use. And, um, But I'm kind of middle of the road. A lot of us also have lots of limitations. There's lots of things I haven't been able to do. There've been moments where I wonder, I mean, is this it? Is this kind of what, you know, when you're your younger section of your life, you think, man, all these things you're going to accomplish. And then you get to some point, you think, yeah, there's still plenty of time. I mean, I actually think I'm going to hit my stride in my 50s or 60s. But the reality is there's lots of things I'm not going to do. There's lots of things that I thought at once I would accomplish or I would achieve, and it's not going to happen. One of my friends described his life as time slipping away like jello through the fingers. And sometimes it feels exactly like that. And for whatever reason, the last two or three weeks, um, that has been more pressing on my heart and my mind. And then this week... I'm reading through the lectionary text. And these words from the psalm stand before me. And these words invite me to step again into God's wide open space, asking me if I really believe the words that I memorized as a child The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or the way the version is that we prayed together this morning, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And while this isn't the whole story for me, there's probably lots of things that I'll unpack with a a friend or a therapist. The fact is that many of my anxieties and doldrums stem from my greedy clutching of my life. My fear that I won't accomplish whatever this great mysterious thing looming out there is that is going to supposedly crown my life with final and ultimate meaning and in that soupy quagmire I'm fearful that my life my days the love I exert my talents that God's given me to use that those things somehow in the end will not prove satisfactory that it won't prove to me to be enough In that moment, I don't really believe that with God, I lack nothing. In those moments, I think that even with God, I lack a whole lot. The words that the psalmist use here for not wanting or for lacking nothing is hasir. It means to be needy. It means to be lacking. It's the same word that's used in Exodus 16.8. In that moment, you might remember whenever... God provided those flakes of sweet bread, manna, from the sky. And after the people gathered the day's worth, and only a day's worth, because on that wilderness trek, God wanted to provide them enough each day for that one single day, they would bring all their manna together, and they would weigh it out, and then they would make sure that each person had enough for that day. This is the way that that it says in Exodus. Exodus. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omar, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little, did not lack. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Everyone had gathered Just as much as they needed. But why is it that the psalmist can have such confidence in his prayer? In the face of so much competing evidence, the psalmist lived the same kind of life we do generally. There was tragedy and sorrow, there was poverty, there was lack in the world. How could the psalmist pray this so confidently? The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. It's because the psalmist knew that there was a shepherd who loved his sheep very much. The shepherd is the one who takes on the responsibility to tend to the small dependent creatures and guides them around the grazing pastures so they can find the green grass that they would certainly miss if they were roaming on their own. The green grass that they would never find if the shepherd didn't come and show them where the green grass was. For the sheep, their life truly does depend on the shepherd. And this shepherd, the psalmist tells us, is none other than God, the Lord. The Hebrew word here for Lord is Yahweh. At least that's the best way we know how to try to pronounce it. It's God's personal name to Israel. This God is not a nameless, distant deity, but the personal Yahweh who loves and sustains them, who watches over them, who yearns for their well-being... And with God giving God's own name, God has given Himself intimately, attaching Himself to this relationship that He will never, ever sever. Every time I, I read in Scripture about God giving His name Yahweh to Israel, I always return to this little bit that Frederick Beekner writes. I love it, so I'm going to read it to you. Beekner, it is my name, it is pronounced Beekner. If someone mispronounces it in some foolish way, I have the feeling that what's foolish is me. If somebody forgets it, I feel that it's I who am forgotten. There's something about it that embarrasses me. In just the same way, there's something about me that embarrasses me. I can't imagine myself with any other name. Held, say, or Merrill, or Hillevec. If my name were different, I would be different. When I tell you my name, I have given you a hold over me that you didn't have before. If you call it out, I stop, look, and listen, whether I want to or not. In the book of Exodus, God tells Moses that his name is Yahweh, and God hasn't had a peaceful moment since. (laughs) But apparently, God's quite fine with that because God gave his name Yahweh He said, I am your Lord, I am your God, I am your shepherd. And for the psalmist, this God is not just Israel's shepherd, but you notice what he says here, my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's not only that Israel will have enough, generally speaking. Some of us are a little more okay with the idea of God being generous generally. But the psalmist makes this bold declaration I shall not want. I, with the good shepherd, will lack nothing. I'm convinced that what we think about these psalms' opening words here may determine the spiritual life that we actually have, the kind of God we believe in. Do we cling to the hope that God deeply loves and cares for us and can be trusted even in the most desperate stretches of our life, trusted to continue to love and care for us and those that we love? Is the Lord our shepherd? Is the Lord the one who is himself our abundant provision? Or is God for us an abstract moral principle, a cosmic reality with very little bearing on our own life, our own heartaches, our own ho- hopes, our own joys and sorrows, our own friendships, our own circles of despair, our own places of brokenness? Is God your shepherd who provides what you truly need? If the answer is no, and there's no shame here, I think for many of us, if we're honest, the answer may well be no. But if the answer is no, we do need to reckon with the fact that the heart of the story of God, God's invitation for us to live in friendship with him in a new way of life, in a new kind of kingdom, that whole story will ultimately be nonsensical to us. If the Lord is not our shepherd. If we don't believe that God so loved the world. And if we're not able to put our name into that. If we're not able to say God is my shepherd. God so loved me. God so loved my next door neighbor. God so loved my child. then scripture is by and large going to be nonsensical for us. It's interesting how this psalm, whether you grew up in the church or not, is one of the texts in Scripture that people know. It's read at most funerals if there is a a Christian uh, or graveside, if there's some kind of uh, Christian witness there. We often think of this psalm as gentle and comforting. And in so many ways, it absolutely is. But what we have here is a profoundly subversive truth. If God is the good God who provides what we need, then the lies and the powers of this world lose their grip. And the lies and the powers of this world do not go easily into the night. If it's true that the Lord is my shepherd, then I don't have to live hiding from others, afraid that I will be judged to not measure up because their opinion of me is not what I need for my life. God provides everything I need for my life. I don't have to live with the anxiety that my future joy and the well-being of my all those that I love hinges on the frantic building of a career and a retirement account. I'm to be faithful with my time and my resources, of course, but God provides what I need. I don't provide what I need. If the Lord's my shepherd, I don't have to live on a razor edge, watching out for anyone who wrongs me, or anyone who doesn't understand me, or anyone who might take something that's mine. My life does not require someone else's cooperation for my soul to be well, because God provides whatever I need. If the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have to hold to my reputation or my accomplishments as if they were the currency that provides me meaning because God gives me all I need. Think of what would happen to our trigger finger toward war if we, both sides all over the world, if we didn't live with the amped up fear that some other power would take our resources or usurp what's ours. If we truly believe that God holds the kings in his hand and that God, when all was said and done, provided whatever we need, how would this change us? What about racism or the plight of the poor? If we believed that there was enough for everyone, that we didn't have to grip our social power or our economic theory in order to be okay, what would release in us? If we truly believed that God had everything we need. But I think that this this is one of our our deep fears. That we will not have whatever we think we need for that good life. That when it's all said and done, we're really not going to have enough. That we really are going to lack if we don't scramble and maneuver and manipulate and press and push. And you notice that none of those words are the same as being faithful. (laughs) Being faithful is active but it's an entirely different energy. In Exodus with the manna when God was dropping the you know I'm from Texas we always said it was biscuits when I was dropping the biscuits from the sky (laughs) Israel began to feel that there wouldn't be enough. That God wouldn't continue to provide. So they greedily and fearfully hoarded. God said, get enough just for the day. And they began to grab more than they needed for the day. And we think, oh, how foolish. I mean, biscuits are falling out of the sky. Why are you doubting God? But we all do it. I think there is a deep, deep fear in us that we're not going to be okay. And whenever we don't believe that God is our shepherd and that with God as our shepherd we will lack nothing, fear abounds. We grow selfish and small. We become sad caricatures of ourselves. We're not free. Even good things and good ideas and good purposes become twisted and distorted. We don't love. We abandon the realities of the kingdom of God. I think that's why there's uh some things in the scripture that I think of as works of protest. The, the, the psalmist doesn't talk about this, but there, there are scriptures all throughout that talk about these, these basic Christian disciplines. And what is Sabbath? When I take a break from my work and I declare Jesus is Lord over my time, I don't have to hustle and strive every hour of my working life. I can take a load off because God is good, and with God as my shepherd, I lack nothing. I think a Sabbath is one of the most countercultural things we can do in this world. And you might think, I don't know any, I don't have any idea how to do a Sabbath. Well, you start by just starting. And if all you have to begin with is an hour, then you do it for an hour. And then six months later, you make it three hours. And then maybe one of these days you'll get up to a whole 24 where you are just ceasing from your labor, I think a second one, and this is probably even makes us a little more uncomfortable, but I think this is what tithing does. To write a a check for 10% of what you make is this concrete, disciplined way of resisting the overwhelming voices riddled through just about everything in our world that we need to hoard our money in order to be okay. This constant press that I've got to have it, control it, and know where it's going to be six months from now. And unfortunately, at least in much of the Christian world, we've gotten really bogged down with, is this a law? Is this required? I mean, once we step into that, we have totally missed the point. I see these things as acts of protest. (laughs) They liberate me. And I don't just mean this, I hope I don't just mean this in like some pastoral way. Well, the pastor's got to say this is good for us. I mean... To stop our work, to say no, to have to say, you know what, because I'm a Christian, I have to actually stop. That is a powerful act in this crazy world we live in. Amen. To write a check for money you think you don't have because you are going to say, I trust God, is a powerful, powerful act in this world. The psalmist says, That with God, we shall not want. Now, I want to be really clear here. Because we live in a very privileged world. To believe that we lack nothing with God, to live toward this truth, it requires a kind of bold and courageous trust in the shepherd. This is not easy. And the promise is not. It has never been and will never be that we will avoid troubles or that evil and injustice of this world will never touch us. That is not the promise of the psalmist. Some of us do face hunger and lack. The psalmist actually tells us this in his own language. He says the shepherd guides us and provides for us even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not... When we, it's when it happens. It's not if it happens. It is when it happens. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd is with us. And in ways that perhaps we cannot even understand unless we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death alongside the shepherd, even in that place, we can pray with bold faith and confidence, I shall know. Because we're in Easter, friends. And we're a people who know the truth that even the place of ultimate deprivation, death, holds no final power over us. The shepherd can guide us even through death because our shepherd has been in that very place and walked through it and walked out of the grave. And perhaps this is why Psalms 23 is given to us as an Easter psalm. If we can learn to be a people who trust the shepherd and don't fear the possibility of ultimate ruin. If we don't fear even death. Then we can truly live free from the powers of this world. From the anxiety and the greed that constantly threatens to steal our joy and still our life can God's people say amen? amen amen the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace